Pianist, vocalist Larry King became a jazz fan at the tender age of five when his mother played him his first Ella Fitzgerald recording. This very hip mother also rescued Larry from a classical piano teacher he couldn't stand and placed him in the capable hands of John Mahegan, who inspired Larry to become the jazz pianist he is today. Larry King and I met in New York City in May 2013 and discussed his wide-ranging career and its continuing evolution. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Larry performs many of the songs recorded by Tony Bennett and Bill Evans. I asked him why more people don't record these great tunes. I think that they're not easy. Mm. I think they're very challenging. Challenging in what way? Both pianistically and vocally. Mm. And I think you need to be very secure vocally and pianistically to do songs like that. I wasn't until more recently in my career. I would never have attempted songs like that when I was younger. First of all, when I was younger, I wasn't really singing that much or that great. Mm. The singing really got good in my middle years mm. and have has gotten better and better. So I've had more confidence to do songs like that. And quite frankly, I think it's a lot of work for people to tackle songs like that. That's mm. just my guess. You know, it's interesting because some tunes, for me, sound difficult. These tunes don't sound on the surface difficult. You listen to them because I've mainly heard the Bill Evans, Tony Bennett recordings right. of them, and they sound very natural, and the melodies are beautiful, and, and of course, the harmonies and everything. So you don't think about it, but then nobody records them, and you did, and I was so delighted. Well, thank you. But I think what, what I realize as you're talking is that Tony and Bill were both the masters of simplicity. Right. They took these highly complex tunes and made them sound like real easy. And that is why they're so breathtaking, I think. Young and foolish Why is it wrong to be young and foolish? We haven't long to be Soon enough The carefree days The sunlit days go by Soon enough The bluebird has to Good. 
what's your favorite? From that, that out, from yeah, from Tony that album, Bill? from the Tony Bill. Young and Foolish, I would say that's yeah. the song that uh, I recorded that on the CD I did in Paris mm. uh, about three years ago, and that's the one song and the first song that everyone always mentions whenever they listen to that recording. And so, it, it, it the lyric is very touching. It's a very nostalgic song. It touches people. It touches me. Sometimes I can't even get through it without welling up a little bit. So it's a highly emotive song, and it definitely reaches people. And I've done it for people who are so jaded that it's unbelievable, and they've told me the same thing. You reached me with that song. So that it's a very uh, it's a song that has become very close to my heart. It's interesting you talk about welling up because this is something that's been on my mind because I'm a new singer, right? And I've dealt with that when I've played a tune, if I'm playing something slower and it reminds me and I've gotten choked up, but not like singing, where you have the lyrics. And that really does it to me. And that's an interesting balance I'd like you to talk about because actors have to deal with this because you want to dig deep. You want to be sincere and connected to the emotion, but you can't Go too far because you well, can't you, fall apart. No, you can't cry on stage. It does. You re, uh, one of one of my earlier coaches uh, always emphasized to me as far as singing. You have to make the audience cry. You can't cry. You can never cry. It doesn't work. You lose an audience that way. Like most great actors, I harness those emotions when I feel them, and I try to turn them into a a source. Mm. And I try to stay with the feeling without giving in to the feeling, but I try to allow myself to experience the feeling, which is a hard thing for me to do in life mm. and in, in performing. But uh, that's what I've learned is if you can hold on to the feeling, harness it and, it, and then it will come across in the song and then you will reach the audience and then you hear about it. Were you playing these tunes, that this particular repertoire that we love so much, were you playing them for a while? I mean, for years and then thought, okay, I'm going to try... To sing it yes. as well? Yeah. Well, in the case of uh, Young and Foolish, I had the great good fortune of working with the late, great Maxine Andrews, one of the original Andrews sisters, and this was a favorite song of hers. And so I accompanied her playing it a number of times. And in effect, I think I learned how to sing it from Maxine, from watching her sing it a lot at home. Never, I don't think she ever performed it in any uh, public place, but she always did it for me at home. And so I watched Maxine sing it, and that's how I learned. And then after many years, I did develop the idea that I could perform the song, and I did. So I brought it out, and I've been doing it for, I don't know, maybe a decade now. What did you learn from her? Oh, I learned so much from Maxine. I learned a lot about show business. I learned a lot about life. Um, well, she, what did you learn about this tune? About it's this curious tune? because... Because, again, it's, it's uh, something for our listening audience, but it's something that I'm curious about as well because of – I haven't accompanied a bunch of singers. So it's right. fascinating to be accompanying and listening to them. And we, so what did you I learn? Th that's a good point, Judy. That's something I've done a lot of accompaniment to, a lot of mm. musical directing and accompanying. And so I've worked with a lot of that's singers. That's what I mean. So when I'm accompanying myself, I know what I'm doing. Um, Maxine taught me basically uh, to be fearless. Uh, it doesn't matter how big a star you are, how famous you are, how great you are. If you can just get up on and sing a song and just sing it with no pretense, mm. with no uh, pre-programmed anything, just let it happen, it's very powerful. And that, I think, is what I learned from her. It's just to be yourself, let it out, don't be afraid of it. I think fearlessness is the would be the key. 
if I were teaching a class in this subject. Really? You have Fearlessness to learn. about – Because I think as, you, as a singer-pianist, mm. you can understand when you're playing the piano, there's a certain – safety that you can have in in keeping a distance with your audience when you're singing and playing that's a very personal intimate thing that you're putting out there your voice and it's a very different end of the of the matter and and you're looking at people yeah that's you're looking what's at been, you if you're working been, in little clubs that has been one of the biggest changes for me because i've always had this separation that i sit at the piano and i play and then i get up and say thank you as they hopefully applaud. They do. And then I talk <laughs> to them. Right. And I'm looking at them. But I'm, I've spent a lifetime looking at people and talking. It seems very different now to be singing. Singing, right. And to see all this emotion on their face that they don't even know they're expressing. That's right. That's fascinating and yeah. a really different thing. It is. And it's something that you can only learn by doing it a lot and practicing, just like everything. Mm. And the more you do it, the less you're afraid of it. Sometimes people will give you looks that are a little hard to process. Right. And you have to learn to look somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I find one of the things, and I've talked to other people about this, and this isn't even with singing. This is just whatever if you standing up talking in between tunes or singing, that there'll be somebody – that everybody else is smiling and there's one person that isn't and you can't help but look at that person. Right. They ruin your whole evening, right? And you're yeah. thinking, I've got 100 people that are giddy and mm-hmm. one that's daggers and you can't stop looking at them. It's horrible. Yeah, I think uh, just about every performer suffers from that because we all want everyone to love us, you know, and uh, if someone doesn't love us, there may be a good reason that sometimes you need to let it go. <laughs> The same old hoodoo follows me about The same old pounding in my heart Whenever I think of you And baby, I think of you Day in and day out Day out, day in I need not tell you how my days begin When I awake, I awake with a tingle One possibility in view that possibility may be seeing you. Come rain, come shine. I see you and to me the day is fine. Then I kiss your lips and the pounding becomes the ocean's roar. A thousand drums. Can't you see it's love? Can there be any doubt when there it is? Day in. Vocalist pianist Larry King on Day In, Day Out from his CD, Larry King Live in Paris. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. audience is like in Paris because I've worked there but you were there for a protracted period which yes. is really something in one club which yes. is very interesting so talk yes. about that well um, the thing about the Parisians is they adore American jazz mm. they are more knowledgeable about it than the average American they are more uh, appreciative of it so they're wonderful audiences they pay attention they know when to applaud 
uh, which a lot of people these days don't. Um, and especially with the uh, repertoire that I do, th it's especially dear to their hearts for the older generation because they remember a lot of this music from the war years, mm. which is a very powerful connection for them. For the baby boom generation, they've been hearing these songs in movies and on, on television, so it's, it's in their consciousness. And for the younger ones, they've never heard it before, and there is no music that's quite as compelling as this that they find today. Mm. So they're very drawn to it, and I, I'm surprised at how many young people are really taken by a song like Moon River. You know, which they never heard before. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, it's a wonderful experience. If if I could, I would live and work in France. Mm. Um, it's it's one of my favorite places. It always has been. And um, while I was there, there was a wonderful exhibit at uh, one of the museums of the history of jazz. And when you see how the French do it, you get a sense of the reverence with which they approach it. Mm. And as you well know, uh, so many musicians fled there mm -hmm. throughout the 20th century. Some fled to Scandinavia, especially the black musicians, mm -hmm. but many were in Paris, and you can still find little traces of, of that uh, there, and that thrills me. And I like being a part of it, and I hope to be uh, as much a part of it in the future as I can be. I'm glad that you mentioned the part about associating it with the war, World War II we're talking about, because I've had that experience too, and that's not something as Americans that we, of our generation that you would think of necessarily. And I spent a lot of time in Europe as well, and traveling, we've both done ships, so we meet a lot of people internationally, so we get this, one of the things that I think is the best about being on a ship is that juxtaposition of so many nationalities, so you get a very interesting perspective. And many people mentioned to me their good association with this music because of what America did for them during the war. Yes. So it's not just hearing it then, but it has this great association that I don't think most Americans that don't live the life we live would have any reason to know that. That's a very good point. Yes. The, the French and all Europeans had this horrendous war on their soil. And as many French friends and associates have said to me, you don't know what it's like when your own country is invaded mm. and there's a war on your own soil. And I always mention the Civil War and they say, oh, that doesn't count. You know, you weren't invaded by a foreign yeah. entity. So, yes, I think it's a very different experience. And I think of many people from that era, people who are now in their 70s, 80s and 90s, who will have very specific and detailed memories that the music brings out, things they haven't talked about or thought about in years. Um, as you and everyone knows, music evokes memories and feelings that m nothing else seems to be mm. able to evoke. Well, what made you go? Because you also speak French. Why did you yes. originally go to France? Um, I really went to France because... Uh, employment opportunities as a performer mm. were dwindling in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I realized uh, that I had to go international. Everyone was going global at that point. Mm. Corporations were going global. The world was globalizing. And I, and I realized that 
I had something to offer that shouldn't just be available in New York or in the United States. And so I took myself off to Paris just to see if I would be successful, to see if they would like me. Did you already speak French? Yes. I was a French major in college. I lived in uh, Rouen in Normandy for my junior year. I lived with a French family. But interestingly enough, my French mother was a spy during the war, and I heard a lot about it from her. Wow. So, and I recently visited them. They're still alive, my French family from 19... Well, I won't, I won't give dates because we're not going to talk ages here. But uh, <laughs> I'm just yeah. trying to figure out how I was a German major, you were a French major, but uh, you speak French and my German's well, terrible. Well, I worked at it. I worked at it. Every time I'm in Paris, I attend uh, conversation groups. Oh, good and man. And I, you know, I really work at it because yeah. when I was a young kid, one of my goals in life was to be fluent in a second language. Yeah. And I am still working on it to this day. You know, you never really get there. Well, right. But no, you get absolutely. better and better. And I have people now thinking I'm French-Canadian when I speak to a French person, which is a big compliment. No, it is. You know? It is. So, so you're making your way. Because I still have that North American twang, you know, which but I can't still. seem to get rid of. But but they, they think I'm fluent enough that I'm not American, which these days is nice when they don't think you're American. Well, well for, the, for the accent. So you yeah. went over there and you yeah. found this place to play, but you just yeah. went? I just went. Uh, talk about courage. I just, you know, I, I had friends. I had associates. I had done some gigs with my band. I had done like couple of club dates, weddings, and things like that. So I knew my way around. But when I got to Paris, the first thing I did, I went to this wonderful party, which is given by a woman who's an American woman that has like a salon where she invites artists. And I met a bass player that I ended up putting in my quartet, and it went from there. And uh, he led me to a club, and then I did that club, and then other things led. It's like, it's it's pretty much like... When we first come to New York, as you may recall, you meet. That's like, what I was thinking of. Like in my case, our mutual friend Steve Ross was the first one when I met when I came to New York. He gave me my first job, and then it went on from there. Same thing happened in Paris. People were very generous to me. Mm. People uh, were very helpful to me. And that's nice to hear too, because people trash Paris a lot. Oh, they do. And I was embraced. I had a great time. Well, of course they would love you because you are the pure American yeah, art form. <laughs> Which they adore. They like that pure yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah. I was always having, my joke is having people come up and say, why do you think Art Tatum did that G-flat minor whatever in the third measure in 1935? And I because it sounded good. <laughs> yeah, that's why they love you. You're authentic. You're the real thing. That's well, I about. love the group. Talk about the group. With well, the recording that you did there, I really... Yes. Um, I call it Larry King Live in Paris. I was with a wonderful bass player named Pierre-Yves Lejeune. I love that name. Pierre-Yves the Young. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul Simonet on drums. And Julian Vile-Moret on guitar. These guys are in their mid to late 20s. Didn't know any of the tunes oh. I was doing. I taught them everything they know. And they loved it. And so uh, it infused a lot of this old music with some new energy. And I think that's why the CD works, because uh, they're great songs, which are somewhat dusty in some cases. But the way the uh, these guys and I pulled it off, it kind of gave it a new luster, I think. Mm. I hope.
Very Early from Larry King, Live in Paris. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and Fingers Fine Haircutting in Sag Harbor, New York. Visit FingersFineHaircutting.com. And from East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit EHIT.WS for more information. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired free on iTunes. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter. To find out more about my CDs and where I'm touring and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest is pianist-vocalist Larry King. Someone that we both love that hasn't been talked a lot about on this show, and he should be, is Tommy Flanagan. Oh, well, that's very easy for me to respond to, because Tommy Flanagan, to me, is one of the greats. I first uh, was inspired by Tommy Flanagan when I was in my Ella Fitzgerald period as a five-year-old child listening (laughs) to all the Ella Fitzgerald recordings. Oh, and that's what most five-year-olds say. That was my Ella period. Exactly. (laughs) That's when I started with Ella. And I remember uh, picking Tommy Flanagan out and and admiring him so much and always wanting to play like him. And um, he, he was definitely one of my role models, one of my heroes. I think he was one of the great pianists, and probably because of his work with Ella, he was always in the background. I think it was only later in his career when he really came out as a performer. I had the great privilege of seeing him perform, and I met him a few times. And um, I just can't say enough about Tommy Flanagan. He was a marvelous man, a great spirit, and uh, was a significant influence on my life and career, definitely. Thank you. 
What about his playing is different from other pianists to you? Well, I think the, th the thing that was different for me was hearing him as an accompanist and being so aware of him because his accompaniment was so brilliant and so interesting that you could listen to it without Ella and it would still be compelling. Most accompanists are basically just servicers. They're there to get out of the way, just to make it happen and to get you from point A to point B. But with Tommy, it was what he was doing was as integral to the product as Ella's magnificent voice. And uh, the two of them together, I think, I don't know, but I assume there was a lot of mutual admiration and love there because I think that they, they, their hearts beated together. Is that a correct English? <laughs> they, their hearts beated together? <laughs> this is a show about creativity. We invent well, let's, words. let's invent words. <laughs> I guess it's their hearts beat together, right? Mm. That we read. Okay. I love you like nobody's loved you come rain or come shine Deep as a mountain and high as a mountain come rain or come shine I guessed when you met me it was just one of those things But don't ever bet me cause I'm gonna be true if you let me You're And what would it be fine? Days may be cloudy or sunny We're in or we're out of the money But I'm with you always I'm with you, come rain or shine I'm with you always Gonna love you, come rain or come Tommy Flanagan and Ella Fitzgerald on Come Rain or Come Shine. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest is pianist, vocalist, Larry King. You talk about channeling Ella or other people that you've listened to, and something that happens to me that's really wonderful, too, is I will be transported back to the time when I first heard it, 
because I won't listen to things for a while. Uh-huh. Because I don't listen to Fats Waller every day, although I'm sure people imagine that's what I listen to. I listened to that a lot when I started out and was teaching myself how to play stride piano. Uh-huh. Now I can listen to that. And what I really hear is that period of time. It takes me back to when I was in my early 20s and I was listening to it. So it's fascinating that it's not just the music. It takes us, at least for me, back to that moment of inspiration and excitement. And it'll give me some added juice because I'll leave something alone for a while. I'll say, okay, because now I'm singing, so I'm listening to a lot of different things. And then I'll think, I'm doing a... I'm about to go off and do a bunch of concerts at a festival, and I'm thinking, I had to dig up some of those old stride pieces because I'm going to do a bunch of solo things. Mm-hmm. So I brought out some fats, and it uh-huh. got me enthusiastic about a bunch of tunes I've forgotten, frankly, because uh-huh. I haven't played them in so long. But it also unexpectedly, but not surprisingly, brought me back to those early years, and it gave me this whole other rejuvenation. Do you know what I'm yes, saying? Yes, I do. It's kind of interesting. I, I think it's very interesting because I think when you're younger and you're formulating your style, you're listening with one type of ear. And once you've developed your own style, you're listening with another type of ear. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a different kind of inspiration. and Equally valid and important. Exactly. But um, uh, it definitely will uh, enter your consciousness in different ways when you're absorbing it as a newcomer to the music. Yeah. Or when you've been playing it for your whole life as Mm. we have, and then you hear it with a different ear. It's often re-inspiring. Now, why did you not major in music since you were playing forever? Good question. Why Um, language? I had the very typical quandary about being a performer or – making a living. And I had uh, decided when I was younger that although I was very successful, I had my first trio when I was 13 and I was doing society gigs all through my teens. And both your parents were professional performers? No, my father went on to become a lawyer, a very successful ah, okay. real estate lawyer. So he was just a great singer, but he was not making Well, he had a couple of songs published by BMI and he was on his way, but then he met my mother and she said, uh-uh-uh, if you want me, you got you to gotta make a living and be a lawyer. It was the war years. It was the 40s. Well, no, absolutely. Time, you know? Was she making a living as an actress? Mm, she, she worked as an actress throughout her life, but she was never a breadwinner at it. You know, she she worked for many years at the Roundabout Theater with mm-hmm. Jean Feist and had a wonderful career, but it, it was never her primary thing. And so both my parents were very encouraging of my career because I think they were sublimating. I mm-hmm. think both of them would have preferred to have had performing careers that were the main event. Um, but they were very happy with the success that I had, and v- they were very nurturing. And my mother is the one actually who found John Mahegan for me, my teacher. Oh, now that's and, interesting. Yes, and she uh, found him because I was studying classical at, at school at the time with this horrible teacher who used to hit my knuckles with a ruler, and I she know, was a mean I old lady. That too. It's, they, we, you, it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. It is a cliche. I know so <laughs> many. Well, they're cliches for a reason. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to quit. Because of it, you know? And so my mom said, no, you can't quit. And so she said, maybe instead of classical, we should try jazz. And how old were you? uh, At that point, I was about, oh, maybe 12, 13, somewhere in there. So young. Yeah, very young. So I walked into John Mahegan's studio, and he was playing. He had record albums stacked up everywhere, and he was playing Art Tatum and Fats Waller. And, you know, and so I immediately Already it was better. I said, this is is going to work, (laughs) Mom. 
and I was with John for many years. I ended up actually teaching for him. He would go away and do clinics in Europe in the summer, and I and another student of his would take over his student body. He had a huge student body, including Dave Brubeck's two boys, Darius and Dan, who went in and out of that studio a lot during those years. And uh, so uh, John uh, taught me everything I know. And I think even though I was a terrible piano player at that point because of this horrendous experience I'd have with this classical teacher, he saw something in me and he agreed to take me out at that young age. And he really poured a lot into me. And um, I miss him. Oh, that's so wonderful. I think so. Yeah. Hearing about great teachers is, Well, the teachers are very important. They're very important because I, I – as you're talking about this, I relate with it because my parents were both great amateurs. They wish that they'd gone on. It, our situations were different in some ways, but the general vibe is the same. I had a terrible teacher, but I did quit. Oh, you actually did? Yeah, I only oh. took a couple years. And uh, I don't think I would have ever played had they not let me quit. But I didn't have that great teacher that then took took up where this other one let off, or well, I should say that differently, <laughs> let off. Boy, there is a Freudian slip. I'm leaving <laughs> oh, that boy. in. That's really when that took up where she let off. It's oh my oh, word. Wow. I, I'm, uh, I, I laugh because people are always coming up to me, and uh, I worked at Disneyland for years, and uh, which our listeners have heard me say. And one of the funniest things is that people would drag their children up to the piano and say, see, Johnny, if you practice like this, and I would always look down at poor Johnny who just wanted to go off to a ride, and I'd say, do you like your piano teacher? Uh, and if they'd question. say yes, I'd say, that's great. I said, well... Make sure that you get to do some fun things and also the things that they want you to do that will lead to make the fun things even more fun. And I would give them a positive message. But if the kid said, I hate my piano teacher, I hate my piano teacher, I'd turn to the parents, I'd say, let them quit. And they'd go, don't listen to her. Don't listen to her. <laughs> what does she know? <laughs> exactly. It was so funny. There'd always be this moment. But I've heard it so much and so yeah. many people that are traumatized by it. But having a great teacher and how important that is and one who listens to the student, because already you're saying he was playing records. That's he got yeah. you at hello. Well, he, you know the thing that I learned. I learned so much from him, but the, the I think the most important thing I learned is like near the end of our relationship when I went off to college and stopped seeing him regularly. I said to him, John, I got We got to keep moving forward. He said, Larry, I've taught you everything I know. Now you just have to play and listen, play and listen. And man, was he right.
My guest, pianist Larry King, on Spring is Here and Waltz for Debbie. I'm going to make a, a reckless statement. Uh-oh. And I, I thought that, uh, that cruise gigs were pretty stupid. Yeah. And I stayed away from them for years. Yeah. And I thought, and I think a lot of other people think that. And then I did my first cruise gig. Well, I did one many, many years ago and didn't enjoy it because I was hired by a music magazine I was working for, and that was just for for people to meet me, just to be oh. there so they could come up and say hello. So that officially was my first cruise gig. Okay. But I don't really count that. My first time playing, performing, was on uh, QE2 doing a crossing with our pal, Steve Ross. Oh, okay. And so... It was a piano crossing, so I, it was the great John O'Connor, wonderful classical pianist, me, um, and Steve. So it was jazz, cabaret, and classical, and we all fell in love with it, thought it was black tie every night. We thought, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I would go to, you know, we'd all go to, to John's concert, then John and Steve would come to mine, then, and we did that. And there was all this camaraderie. There was time to enjoy it. Right. Uh, People listened, and I heard some great musicians, and that's continued. I do it a few weeks a year. You do it more than I do, but I've, well, like any job, I know there's downsides, but there's lots of good. So talk about that, and talk about the particular job that you do. Well, it's just new to me, because I've only been uh, performing on cruise ships for two years. Mm. Um, The opportunity came to me uh, early in 2011. Um, I initially said to the agent who approached me, I don't think it's for me. You know, I always think about what Simon Cowell says on American Isles 2 cruise ship, you know. And there's like a, a, there's a negative vibe that our society has. But um, I agreed to do this one and I ended up having a ball because what I do is I perform in a lounge on Holland America's cruise ship called the Ocean Bar. And really, this is about the last place in the world that has the feeling of an old-style club with dancing and a dance floor and plenty of tables and chairs to sit. And the thing I always tell everybody, the reason it appeals to me is because I'm sitting in this gorgeous club with a great sound system, air conditioning, lights, great sidemen, Everything is done. I don't have to worry about all the, As you know, when you travel, every time you go into a club, the piano's out of tune, the lights are not working, so there's no and piano at all. And people listen. Oh, yeah. And people listen. I mean, that's something they that sit. really strikes me, is that they they're sit. They're a great audience. They're a great audience. They're, they sit and they're listen. They're there to be entertained. They uh, applaud. They uh, interact with you. It's like they've... For me, it's like you've stepped back in time. Exactly. Because, in fact, I was describing you to someone and talking about our conversation, that we were going to have a conversation today. And I said, imagine New York, even in our time, when we first came to New York. So let's say in the 80s, it was the last gasp of lots of great pianists in clubs in and clubs. in hotels. Right. And that I, you could go and you could get a drink and hear someone magnificent. Right. And this is sort of the the uh, evol- evolution of that. Yeah. And it seems to be the last place that it really exists in any meaningful way. Yeah. And um, uh, you'll be interested to know I just got offered my first time on a Disney ship. Speaking about Disneyland. Are you going to do it? I'm going to do a month this summer, but uh, in a different context, not in the lounge as a band leader, mm. as a singer pianist with a band, mm-hmm. but as a solo entertainer. 
Oh. A guest entertainer like what you Like do. what I do. Interesting. And so I'm going to see how that goes. And, you know, Disney being a company that was born out of entertainment, mm. it could be a very different experience than working for a cruise line that was born out of shipping or transporting right. people, you know. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I think that the, the overall the, – the work itself is so rewarding and so uh, much fun – and the the side benefit is I love to travel, as I assume you do. Mm, and course. the travel all over the world is a great thrill uh, to go to places I've never been um, and to to uh, sort of have the opportunity to live outside the country but not really move anywhere. Right. You know? And there are also smaller ships, which we should say for people That's who true. don't cruise. There's a right. big difference between – what Simon Cowell is referring to or the ones that you're stranded with thousands of other people if something goes wrong and the ones that we're talking about, which are much, much smaller. Right. So it's a different kind of They're referred to as mid-sized ships. Yeah. Generally about 1,000 to 1,200. Yeah, which is much, much, much smaller. Very nice. So, yeah, yeah, and and we got to meet. So there you go. I I, I have to tell you a very funny story Uh with you hearing another person in your spot um, and this is one of the great things for musicians is for our listening audience to hear that just getting to hear other musicians and having the time to hear them. Because when I'm home, I don't go out and hear a lot of music. I'm finally home. Right. And so I, I'm, it's a big deal for me to be home, to just enjoy my home. <laughs> and so you get to do this. I get to go and, and listen to you and enjoy it and have that kind of thing. And I, I wish I could remember this man's name, another New Yorker. Great piano player. And so I was listening and I was standing because I was passing by so I could be behind him. And as I was walking past the bar and at the end of the tune, I said, oh, that was wonderful. I said, such lovely voicings. And then he just sort of looked at me because that wasn't something he expected to hear. So we went into another tune and he played that and... I applauded at the end, and then he played another tune. And after the third tune, he turned to me and he goes, so what, you're a piano player or something? (laughs) (laughs) Good guess. And it was a great, great New Yorker to New Yorker moment because Mm. it was almost like he was irritated. Why why is she standing there listening? (laughs) But it was fun because there you can. That's my point because my first – one of my first gigs in New York was downtown at Knickerbocker, and it was a place – where the way it was configured, you could stand right behind the piano player. So musicians did it. There was a, a rail, but you remember that place. Oh, I remember So well. I remember hearing John Bunch. That was my first big inspiration, going there and hearing him. And I was literally standing behind him. So I could look over his shoulder and see how he was voicing it. Mm-hmm. How is he making it sound that way? Mm-hmm. And those are things that we don't have the opportunity exactly. as much now that I think is really important. Well, I, I hear the same thing from the audiences, from the guests on these right. ships. They come up and the, universally the message is how wonderful to hear this music live. Yeah. So well done in such a wonderful environment to be able to listen to it, dance to it. You know, it's it, we, we don't have anything like this at home. And when I tell them I'm from New York City and we don't have a lot like that at home either right. anymore, right. they're very surprised to hear it. Because like you, I grew up performing in all these wonderful, you know, Danny Skylight Room and the uh, the Saloon Grill, which used to be at Lincoln Center. I had a gig there for two years, which was so wonderful. And downtown at the Ballroom and the Oak Room at the Algonquin and Jan Wallman's even, you know, 
none of these clubs exist anymore. The supper club, you know. And uh, people always say, like, um, I had a woman come up to me and say, you know, I go to Paris all the time. Is there a place you could recommend like this in Paris? And I said, I am so sorry. There are jazz clubs. Your yes. place isn't there anymore, the place oh, that you work? Oh, yeah. It's still there. But um, it, 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 what I was doing there was I was a solo act. And I was like the house guy. And I would be sitting there and singing uh, and playing. You know. And they're not doing that anymore. I don't know. Because I haven't been in touch with them in the last year or so. So they're not. I'm not sure what they're doing now, actually. What about the recording that you did at Danny's? Because I love that. You brought that for me, too. Talk yeah. about that. Well, that was, a ver- that was a show I did called Larry Does the Greats, which um, is very close to the format of this marvelous show that you do. Because it was a show that was all the pianists composers and performers who inspired me. You know, I, I talked about Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim and, and John Mahegan and uh, Bill Evans and all the people that inspired me. And I did one song or one or two songs from each source. And there, I, I talked about it and I explained to the audience, I sort of told the story of my life through song. Mm, and it was a, it's a very nice. simple idea, but it really worked. As a creative person, and one who's been doing this for a long time, how do you reinvigorate yourself? Is it something that just happens, a new tune? Do you manipulate these circumstances? I find that interesting because everybody does it differently. And one of the things I've learned on this show is that there's as many ways to be inspired as there are people. And we all have our strategies. So I'd like to know what you do to keep it fresh. Uh, new songs, new audiences. Like, for example, going to Paris. That was a very inspiring moment for me because I felt re-energized by that whole experience. Um, working in a different language. You know, when I go to the rehearsal studio, Studio Bleu, and I speak French <laughs> with all the people there. And I met a lot of artists who were recording there. That was a That was a very invigorating moment because... Uh, we interacted a lot in French, and, and that was a new experience for me. Doing cruise ships these last couple of years, that's been very reinvigorating because although, as we discussed initially, I was horrified at the thought, it's turned out to be a very inspiring and wonderful moment for me creatively. Um, people who I've known all my life who have stumbled onto these ships have said, you have never played better, you have never sung better. And I say to them, well... You know, I haven't worked six, seven nights a week in many years. And there's nothing like playing 20, 30, 40 hours a week in front of an audience to get good. And I think that's, that's definitely reinvigorated me. And it's, it's, it's also helped me refocus because my life has mostly been spent in the business side of this business. I 
built a company called Larry King Productions, which was a club day business. Mm. And I spent many years building that business and doing special events for big corporations and NYU and CBS News and a lot of these big clients. And I was not working creatively. I was not growing creatively during that period of my life. So this period of my life is a very intensely creative period because I'm I've had I've done my thing. I've had the success with it. It's enabled me to focus on the performing career and not worry about the financials so much. And it's very freeing. And I think that's invigorating. It's wonderful to talk about different ways of being reinvigorated. And as you're saying this, and I'm getting from this to the unexpected, that I think a lot of times people don't take take chances. People say, oh, take a chance, be, be fearless, do this. And they think that means something huge, like mortgage your house and invest in something. Right. And I think a lot of times it's just saying yes to something that you're going, oh, but you try it. And maybe it doesn't work out, but exactly. it's what? It's a couple of weeks of your life, or in this case, it's a couple of months or whatever. Uh, but things that you have that you can't anticipate right. happen. And I'm thinking for myself with cruises, because I came at this very differently. I have almost always been lead, the leader in any gigs, in the mm-hmm. gigs that I do. Mm-hmm. And because I hire people that are great and are more schooled than I. I'll say, I want to do this in this key, and this is just, um, will you write that out for me? Because <laughs> right. everybody writes faster than I do, or something like that. I have the other guys do it, and I'll, I'll sing it. You know, I go, la, 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 I want to do this. And they know how to translate, because I've used the same guys for years, translate what I think and what mm-hmm. I mean, and they read my mind at this point. So now I'm on cruise ships doing these things with a different band every time I've come in. Yes. Some... Good musicians, some not some good. Some not so great, right? And mostly young in the mm-hmm. bands that I play, mostly really young, don't know the tunes. I've had people that don't know form that I've said, okay, let's take it. it from the bridge. And one of them said, what's, what's a bridge? A bridge? Yeah. And I said, it's where the captain is. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe it. And he told me he was the jazz guy. I'll never forget that. He goes, I'm the jazz guy. You can talk to me. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's take it about this fast and you know, from the bridge. And he didn't, hey, what's a bridge? So... That That's funny. You realize uh, there's a great there's a great Portuguese or Brazilian phrase called uh, that they say you realize my situation. You realize, you realize my situation. Yes. But I didn't think about it until one of my regular musicians said to me, "You know, playing with all these bad musicians has really improved your playing." <laughs> and I said, "What?" And he said, "It does." He said, "Your time's better." He said, I can tell you've had to you've had to focus. It made you stronger. It made me stronger. Yes. It also made me stop being lazy about communicating what I wanted. Because there was nobody That's there that read important. my mind. Very important. So I had to start reading. I say it like that because right. I could usually get away with not reading. Right. Made me read because I had to have arrangements for these people. So I had to say, Okay, we're taking it from letter C. I had to do <laughs> right. all the stuff that all the adults do. <laughs> and it was funny. Yeah. But who knew? Right. That was just an added benefit that I didn't know I'd have. And that reinvigorated And you. I think it's such a great message about inspiration in life, totally. not, which is what I always well, see this. a good example how, with you is your recent foray into singing, mm. which requires a certain amount of fearlessness. And I think that that's marvelous that you're doing it. You're doing it beautifully. Thank you. And um, it's a wonderful moment. It is. I'm really excited And I about hope it. you'll do a lot more of it. 
Thank you. Thank you. Maybe we'll do a duet. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It would. I think it would be heavenly. It would be heavenly. It would. Thank you so much it's for doing this. I've enjoyed we it. We managed it. Yes. I always love being with you. I love being with on you. On land, on sea, in studios, <laughs> wherever. <laughs> well, it's a very, it's a challenge in, in this show. I laugh about it because it seems I'm always ending the conversation with, we managed it. But if it's another musician, they travel as much as I do. So it is always a big deal for us to get together, but it's an excuse to get together face That's to wonderful. face. And I thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to pianist, vocalist Larry King. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidoff. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one. From my CD, High on Fats, and other stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashamon sax and Chris Mori on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners, Steinway & Sons and Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. Additional support is provided by a grant from Henry and Gilda Block and from Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970 on the web at jazztimes.com. Support is also provided by the American Hotel in Sag Harbor, New York. Learn more at theamericanhotel.com. Special thanks to our webmaster, Megan Lewis, and to Jamie Roach for additional production assistance. Jazz Inspired goes on the road in 2015 with our first annual Jazz Inspired from Kiowa Island, South Carolina, March 2nd through the 5th. More information is at jazzinspired.com.